I'm Patricia Pierce. Welcome to the We Awakening podcast. Beneath the global crises we are facing, something truly extraordinary is happening on Earth. Planetary consciousness is shifting as humankind sheds its belief in separateness and awakens to the truth of interexistence. In this podcast, we explore this awakening into unitive consciousness that will give rise to a new world, and we celebrate the luminous web that connects us all. My guest today is Bella Mahaya Carter, who is an author, a creative writing teacher, an empowerment coach, and a speaker. She's worked with hundreds of writers over the past 11 years, and she has degrees in film, literature, and spiritual psychology. Her writing and interviews have appeared in dozens of online and print journals, and she's the author of three books, including her latest, Where Do You Hang Your Hammock? Finding Peace of Mind While You Write, Publish, and Promote Your Book. Bella and I met in 2018 when she and I had books published by the same publisher in that year, and since then we've become mutual fans of one another's work. You can find out more about her on her website, bellamahayacarter.com, and it's my delight to have her with me today as we explore the intersectionality of writing and spirituality. So, Bella, thank you so much for joining me today. I've been looking forward to having this conversation with you and exploring this intersectionality between writing and spirituality. But before we really dive into all that, maybe you could just give us a little bit of your background and how it is that the two of those seem to be in an interplay in your life and you know the nature of your own spiritual life and how your writing informs that. Well, thank you for having me, Patricia. It's great to be here. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I've been binge listening because I don't know, somehow I didn't know that your podcast was going on. And when I found out, I thought, oh my goodness, how did I miss this? Mm. So I've been listening and that's been great. And it's been inspiring me. I think because for, for so for so many years, I, I have had several mystical experiences where I had a clear understanding of who I am which is not this that this thing that you're looking at, this body, this form, it's just part of the story. And, um, and I was afraid because I didn't understand. I had no context for understanding what was happening. Yeah. And I, I grew up at, um, in a Catholic household. And I was, I was a believer in, in, in miracles. Mm-hmm. My mom had polio as a child, and she told me about the experience that she had. I think she was seven or eight when the polio came on. She had a very high fever, and the doctor came to their apartment, and he examined her, and then the doctor and her parents left the room, and the door was closed, and my mother said, "I." Oh, and so she left her body. Wow. She rose, she saw a bright light up in, up in the ceiling and she wanted to be with the light. She went toward the light. And while she was having that traveling experience, she saw her, the doctor talking to her parents and she heard the doctor say to her parents, um, if she survives, she'll never walk again. Wow. And my mother wanted to, seeing how upset her parents were, my mother wanted to say to them, that's not true. Oh. Don't listen to him. But of course, she couldn't communicate with them. She came back to her body. The next day, the fever had broken and she was paralyzed. And the paralysis lasted a year, but she not only was able to walk again, she became an American youth hostel cycle volunteer through Europe, and she became a physical education teacher. Wow. Oh, my gosh, Bella. Wow. What a story. And she and she shared that openly with you when you were growing up. She shared that with me when I was a child. 
So I, so I, I, I just thought, and my grandmother had, had my mother and my grandmother both had psychic abilities. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of, I felt they were special. I didn't know we all have these, you know, that this is possible for all of us. I just thought they were really cool and really special. And I identified with them a lot. And I had an experience when I was 13 that was pretty remarkable. I was, is, is it okay to keep going? Oh, <laughs> please, please. This is fascinating. Okay. Um, so I was visiting some family member of some friends of our family in Mexico City. Uh, when my mother was when my mother was 13, her mother had taken her to Mexico and they couldn't afford to stay at a hotel. So they stayed, families opened their homes to travelers. So they stayed with the Escalera family. And the Escalera family, you know, from the time my mom was 13, just became like our family. So they would visit us, we would visit them. My first visit to the Escalera family, I was 13 years old, and my grandmother brought me. And we had been there for a couple of weeks. And I think we were planning to stay, stay for the whole summer or for a month for an extended period of time. And my grandmother got called back to New York. And she said to me, you know, you can come with me now or you can stay. And I don't know why, but I said, I'll stay. <laughs> so here I am. I'm 13 years old. I'm living with a Mexican family. And um, and actually, the one of the families, they, they were, it was like a brother and sister, and they lived next door to each other. And the sister, she was... She was, she worked for the president of Mexico. She was, she, you know, in the government and she had her, her house was palatial and it was, and she was then there, she was very religious and there were crucifixes on the wall. And I felt like her, her home felt kind of like a cathedral to me, which mm -hmm. like made me really like it. Yeah. Uh, and the home I was staying in was more modern and didn't really have that feeling. But uh, I, I remember just in wandering around the neighborhood, I found this little church. And I mean little. I mean, it was a it was a small little church, but it really felt like a sanctuary to me. It felt like something special. And I used to go there and just sit, just sit in the church by myself. And one day the priest came up to me and um just asked me about myself. And we started talking. And somehow I I kind of was muddling a little bit of Spanish, a little bit of English. You know, we were just kind of communicating. And and that was that. And that Sunday, the family went to go visit these caves. I don't remember which caves, where they were, but I remember that I was wearing jeans and like, you know, it was like a dirty kind of day, you know, so I was, I was wearing my jeans and, and I remember that it was, I, it was a Sunday. And I had also remembered that there was going to be an evening mass at the little church. And I really wanted to go but I didn't have time to change my clothes. So I had to make this decision, you know, do I miss the mass or do I just let it be okay that I'm in my jeans? Cause in, you know, when I was growing up, we went to church with patent leather shoes and gloves and we dressed for church. Yeah. Yeah. So I decided to go and maybe the Escaletas, you know, encouraged me. I don't think they went. So I went to the church. So I, I, I got there a little bit late and I stood in the back and I noticed, oh my goodness, everybody's dressed in their Sunday best. And these, you know, I mean, there was a variety of people. There were, there were affluent people, but there were also peasants and everybody was dressed in their polished shoes and the women's heads were covered. And it was, you know, and I, I thought, oh dear, I, I don't know, but I sort of snuck into the back of the church and I sat down in a pew in a little corner and 10 minutes later, maybe less, within a few minutes, an altar boy starts walking down the center aisle of the church. And I'm thinking like, what's, the, what's he doing? Like, I don't recognize this custom. I have never seen an altar boy walk down. down. And... Um, he comes up to me and he says, Father Tapia wants to talk to you. Father Tapia was on at the altar. Wow. It was surreal. 
<laughs> like real. wanted to talk to you then? Or- yes. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yes. So I honestly don't remember whether I walked down the center aisle or the side aisle. I think it might have been the center because the church was so small. And all these people were looking at me. And, you know, I, I did have this little New Testament that it was like this size, like a little kind of thing. And I and I had it with me for some reason. I think, you know, I just thought it was a good idea to travel with it. Like somehow it would keep me safe. And I was just clutching this little New Testament. And I, I went, finally got to the altar and the priest said, he kind of like stepped to the side and he said, there are some tourists visiting from America. Could you say something to them to to make them feel at home? Wow. I mean, I, I, I'm telling the story now and I'm thinking like, did that, is that like, really? That seems really surreal. It, it would single you out and that you had all of this anxiety about your appearance, but he wanted you to step up and, and help these folks. And so I remember, you know, I had my little New Testament and I remember, like, I remember thinking like, wow, this just seems so strange. But I just, you know, I had my favorite passage was the, was like the love, love is patient and kind, never jealous and boastful, that passage. And so I didn't know what to say. So I think I just got up there and I said, you know, I've come to really, I've been here alone without my grandmother and I've come to really appreciate this church. And I was speaking to Father Tapia the other day and I don't really know what to say to you, except I will, I'll share with you my favorite passage. And I read it. I went back to my seat. The mass continued because the mass was in Spanish. Mm-hmm. So he wanted them to hear a little bit of English. Yeah. And then after mass, all these tourists who happened to have been from Kansas came up to me and thanked me and told me, you know, how wonderful it was to hear a little bit of English in a church, in a little church in Mexico. <laughs> See, you did need to be there and not keep your genes from keep you to keep have your genes keep you from going right exactly and i i never forgot that experience mm-hmm. it was just one of those things that it 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 meant something to me but i didn't know what yeah i really didn't have any idea what it meant i just thought it was just this weird quirky thing that happened that just didn't make any sense um and I know this does, I'm not really responding to your question about writing because in thinking about this conversation, mm-hmm. I, you know, I've just been sitting quietly Yeah, yeah. and I, and I've been just thinking of more about my spiritual life. Yeah. Well, I'd like to come back though, Bella, to this story that you've shared because the fact that it has stayed with you, I mean, I'm sure as a writing coach, you really encourage people to mine those life experiences that you know, they stick with us and we may not understand why, you know, why are they still with us? And that the writing process can be a way for us to go into those things, those aspects of our lives. And Absolutely. It's really like a discovery process. And the fact that, that you had just come from this, uh, this uh, outing of into the caves, right? And so the writing process encourages us to go into those caves and go spelunking, right? To, uh, examine and discover what's in there, what's inside of us. Yes. So how did you get into writing? I mean, how, what drew you to that? Did you always feel like you wanted to be a writer? No, I was a dancer. Mm -hmm. I was a student at Juilliard and my whole identity was wrapped up in being a dancer. Although what I loved more than anything was choreography because that's where I got to tell stories. And I've always loved stories. I used to sit around the dining room table as a child and long after the other kids had left and I would just watch and listen. And I just was amazed at the things that the adults would say, you know, they forgot I was there and they would speak. Well, as you say that, it makes me think of, you know, one of the fundamental spiritual practices is to develop that witnessing mind, the observer mind, which you were doing at an early age. You were able to 
observe what's going on around me. And then you can take that inwardly, you know, what's going on inside of me and watch your own thoughts just the way you would watch what the adults were doing and what they were talking about. Do you? And I also I saw the stories. I was fascinated by the stories, yeah. but I'm sorry, what were you going to ask? Well, I was just wondering if you felt a continuity um, with that ability, but yeah, the stories. So what is it about story that seems so? Yeah. Yeah. So let me just also, I'll finish answering the previous question. Um, so, uh, uh, my brain just lost, lost one. Yeah. So the dancing, so the choreography, um, so I was, I was telling stories, you know, and I, there was one time when I decided to work with a, I found this beautiful poem by Pablo Neruda called El Hijo. And I decided to um, create a piece of choreography based on that. And there was this wonderful cellist that I knew. And he he loved this Benjamin Britten cello thing. And we put this together and we had an actor, a cellist, and a dancer all on stage together. So that one artist wasn't just accompanying the other. They were all interacting together. So, But then what happened was I had a back injury and I had to leave Juilliard. And I thought that, oh, it was such a crisis for me because I, I thought I was a dancer. I thought that's who I was. And I, if I'm not a dancer, who am I? So um, I made my way to college. And it, it, at that time, it, I have to laugh at this, but it felt like a booby prize. Felt like, you know, okay, well, like, this is what everybody does. I better do it. And yeah. I went to college and then I fell in love with Shakespeare and with William Blake. Mm. And I mean, the thought that somebody could write a play in poetry, it was mind boggling. You know, I had the big, thick Pelican Shakespeare book and I used to go to the library with the book and I used to get the records and I used to listen to the old fashioned records and read the plays as I was listening. And it was just, it was magic for me. Um, so once I got a taste of literature, which I really hadn't, I hadn't really been a reader as a child because I'd always been dancing, but that was the beginning of, of a whole new opening for me and, um, and a way to mine my stories and, and to help other people do the same. I mean, along the way, there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot, there was a lot more education. There was a master's degree in filmmaking and, and spiritual psychology. And there was just, you know, there was a lot of education, a lot of learning. Um, and, and now it's just wonderful to be in a place in my life where I feel like, oh, I see what all that learning was about. It, it finally makes sense to me. Yeah. And you're weaving it all together. Yeah. So the creative process uh, you were able to make that transition from one form of yes, oh, that's expression to another, which you know that's that's a leap in itself. But you were gifted to to have this experience with literature, and you fell in love with that, just as you. Yeah, have. I'm so glad you said that because really, what I learned was the the form of of expression didn't really matter. Mm. It was just the ability to express. Yeah, that's what mattered. Yeah. And, and I saw that creativity is creativity. And what I'm seeing lately in my life is like life is a creative process. And sometimes we approach it thinking, oh, I need to know what I'm doing. Mm. Or I need to have a plan. But in fact, I've discovered that the more I slow down, the more I step back, the more I listen and allow myself to be guided, like, I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to work so hard. And that is such a huge learning, that letting go of control, which has, you know, absolute implications for the spiritual life, as well as the creative life. So there is this, this intersectionality. I mean, I find that for myself as well. There's a way in which to really be in our full creativity, like you're saying, we we let go of control. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, with writing, you know, so much of what I do is to help people get out of their own way so that what wants to be expressed is free to come through. Yeah. And I was curious about that because I, you know, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you is what do you find in your, in your uh, teaching, your creative writing teaching and writing uh, coaching? What do you find people most struggle with? And how does that for you 
Like, what is the spiritual dimension of that? Oh, yeah. It's a great question, Patricia. Um, they're hijacked by their insecure thinking. And they believe that's the truth about who they are. They don't realize that this is just, that this thinking, this thought, it's a habit of the mind. And, you know, the mind is there to help us. And it's, you know, it's a great helper. But we, we most of the writers I work with, and, and it's taken me a long time to see this for myself with my own writing, because for years I just thought I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to do this. I don't have enough talent. I don't have enough education. I don't have, you know, fill in the blank. I'm not good enough. Um, but what I've learned is that there's no such thing as not good. I just actually just the other day, I had somebody who, who wanted to sign up for my writing circle. And she said, but, you know, I really want to sign up, but we just, I just need the answer to one question first. And that is, you know, am I good enough? Um, and I said to her, I said, you know what I would love to do? I'd love to just take that question and just put it aside mm. because you know what? We all have that question. We all ask that question. We all wonder, and and it's it's a deception. It's an illusion of the mind. Yeah. Has nothing. You know, if you're called to write, if you're having the, if your heart is pulling you and saying, "I want to write. I want to write," that's what you listen to. That is the calling of your soul. And and the the only the only thing to do is to say yes. <laughs> yes, such wise advice. And I think of that. I'm not good enough as, you know, we can, that can play out in any area of our life. Oh, yes. You know? Oh, yes. So to recognize, and, and that's another thing about the, the, uh, the process of creativity is that we, you know, we're, we're always bumping into those things, like you're saying, those inner deceptions. And there's, it's almost like a practice of letting those things go and not allowing this, those to inhibit us. It is be the, the obstacle. It is. It is a practice. And that's why surrender is absolutely necessary in the creative life as well as in the spiritual life. Yeah. It, it, you know, and that is my the practice. I would say that is that is the, the that's what's been up for me for the last few years and what continues, you know, I keep I keep asking, how can I surrender more? Mm. Because you know, it, the ways in which I hold on show up, they just show up everywhere and they surprise me. You know, they, they, I don't really even realize they're there. And then suddenly I found my, I find myself caught. Yeah. And of course, the thing that wants us to hold on is fear. Absolutely. That control. Absolutely. I'll, yeah. I, I you know, I, I pulled out my memoir raw, my journey from anxiety. Yeah, yeah. To yeah, I haven't looked at it in years, um, but I thought, you know, let me look at the, it's divided into three sections, body, mind, and spirit. And it really is a, a holistic healing journey. Um, and when I was outlining the book, I was very clear about the body and the mind sections, but I really wasn't, didn't know about the spirit section. So, but my editor was demanding an outline. So I was like, okay. And I just kind of flubbed it. But what I hadn't realized is that I hadn't yet lived the so-called spirit section of the book, because while I was writing this book, we had five family deaths in three years, and I developed an anxiety disorder, and I was afraid to leave my house. Yeah. So, uh, and I wanted to, I, I, I understood that it was an opportunity for healing. Mm -hmm. And so, even though occasionally I did have to take medication, I didn't really want to kind of medicate this situation away. I wanted to meet it and see what it had to teach me. Um. So, but, so the spirit section unfolded, and, and it's funny because I was, I had to stop writing my memoir, but I kept writing in my journal mm. and I actually would even beat myself up because I would say, you know, oh, you're not working on your memoir, but I was writing in my journal. And when I was better and able to resume work on the book, it had all been written in my journal. Yeah. So, um, but I wanted to share this with you, if I may, if I can read something that I just saw this morning and had like, kind of forgotten about, you know, I don't have the greatest memory. So I thought, you know, I want to go back and, and look and see, you know, and this was um, this was another kind of uh, mystical experience that I had. And it happened um, at the end of a Reiki session, the Japanese energy healing session. Yep. So this was toward the end. This is after an hour of the practitioner moving energy around my body. 
Lying on my back, I began to feel light and porous from head to toe. Toward the end of the session, I began to experience my body as a container with holes. I had the sensation that I was a mass of vibrating energy. I did not feel like solid matter. I felt as if someone could have walked right through me. Soon after I had that awareness, I slipped out of my body and found myself existing in multiple dimensions of time and space simultaneously. I didn't see anything, but where I was felt familiar. I seemed to be accessing an ancient knowledge of an eternal place beyond time and space as I'd known it. I felt safe and loved and large like a much more expanded version of myself. And then, immediately following this awareness, I thought, oh my God, I'm out of my body, at which point I got back in. When the session ended, I sat up slowly amazed and a little freaked out by what had happened. My house felt like an artificial construct. I'm living in a box, I thought. My bedroom felt less real to me than the place I had just been. This reality, I said to Robin, that was a therapist, isn't all there is. No, she said, smiling. It's not. A hush descended upon us, and when it cleared, I shared what had happened. I'm scared, I said. She took my hands in her warm, smooth ones, looked me in the eye, and whispered, what you experienced was a gift. I nodded. Still, the muscles in my neck and shoulders felt like concrete. Looking back, I realized they were gripping, trying to hold on to the familiar, to life as it has had always been, to my known physical world reality. You've just experienced a major paradigm shift. Think of it as an awakening. You've glimpsed beyond the veil. Uh, it's so beautifully written. It, and it's such a great book. I just want to put that little plug in. Oh, thank you. And did you find it difficult to write about that, to find the words to express that? Or did it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, is, it is difficult to talk about those experiences of knowing or not of knowing. It, it's to talk about those experiences. It can be difficult. And yet I felt like I had to. Like I had, and I just kept asking for, for assistance. I just, you know, give me the words, give me the language so that I can convey what this is, because I think this is why I'm here. You know, and I've had other, I've had other um, mystical experiences, um, usually connected to some kind of like this was, this happened during breath work. I had this experience where, again, I had that feeling of like being very light and, um, um, and I, I had the experience of an ancient being speaking through me in a language I didn't understand, but I understood the message. And part of that message that really stayed with me was, do not spend another second of your life in doubt or fear. Wow. And, you know, even though I got that message, I, there's still tons of doubt and fear in my life, but it, it came through very strong. And it was funny because when I was binge listening to, to your podcast, uh, I was fascinated by the interview with Joanne mm -hmm. because I have this language, the, uh -huh. this this gibberish, this whatever that you know that comes out of me. That um, it doesn't make any sense language wise, but there's always a clear directive. There's always like I uh, like there's like some translation that happens within. Yeah, where this ancient you know, knowing is, is uh, where I feel it. Yeah. So does that happen? Has that happened more than once? Does it? Yes. Uh -huh. Yes. Well, so that was the first time that it happened. Uh -huh. And I find that when I'm just sitting in my meditation practice, I can just slip into that. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's very comforting. Yeah. And Joanne refers to it as light language. Yes. Is that the way it feels to you? Like, like that it's yeah. an energetic, like. Yeah, but I would like to just tune in for a second and see if there's an, because um, I love that light language. Um, but I want to see if it, if it says that it's, if it wants to call itself something else. Mm -hmm. um, it's the ancient one. Oh, the ancient one. Beautiful. 
So I think that those of us who dance on that boundary between the worlds, I guess I'll put it that way, mm-hmm. um, and then we try to put that into language that will communicate, it's, it is challenging because it's so ephemeral and it doesn't lend itself always to, to words. Yes. Do you find that to be a challenge for you? I do. I do. Um, and I, I keep trying to, you know, I sometimes have to close my eyes like I'm doing right now. And I sometimes have to put my hand on my heart because somehow this is where all of this takes place. And it's not here. Yeah. Now, for those of people who might just be listening, I'm, I'm, I've got one hand on my head and one hand on my heart. And I've been so accustomed to following the guidance of my head through most of my life, which has been, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's not like the head isn't a great thing. The brain isn't a wonderful thing, but it's not, it's there. It's not the, where the largeness of my essence resides. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I just try to, I try to connect with the feeling, even if I'm not in it, you know what I mean? Like, and I try to just call it forward. Like one way I have of, of talking about the experiences, you know, those unitive experiences is to me, it feels like um, a windshield on the car, on a car that's dirty. And so when I've had those kinds of experiences, it's suddenly I'm looking at everything as if the windshield of the car has been washed and there's, and there's life everywhere. It's like sparkling, you know, the trees, the flowers, the sky, it's like nature just is is this sparkling you know suddenly it's clear like i can see yeah yeah that's such a great way of putting it and when you are having your writing circles and so forth or coaching someone do you do you coach them to to let their awareness reside i I love this question i have to laugh because i have a student who's been in my writing circles for a while who um who one day said, you know, Bella, we're your ministry. That's <laughs> <laughs> really laugh. Yeah. You know, and I've gotten like my guides have told me, you know, you're here to teach. Mm. You know, and sometimes I say, well, like teach what? You know, am I supposed to because in at, because in my heart of hearts, I feel like I'm a healer. Yeah. Even though, you know, like, well, what the hell does that mean? You know, like I haven't gone to medical school, you know, it, it's kind of silly in a way, but 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 like way down deep. I feel like I'm a healer. So then, so then the question becomes, well, what, you know, what am I here to heal? And I think I'm part of what I'm here to heal is I'm here to help people um, know who they are. Mm -hmm. And writing is an excellent tool for learning and discovering and exploring. And so I'm, I think a lot of times I'm, I'm really just trying to help people get out of their own way so that their divine intelligence can shine. That's, you know, that's really what I do. I mean, it's hard to say, you know, like, and that's why I'm different from a lot of writing teachers and coaches, because yes, there's the conversation about the writing and the craft and how to become a better writer and how to be precise and how to describe things. And there's the, all the craft. And then there's also the art, but to me, the art is spiritual. Because it is about letting go. It is about understanding we're not in charge. We're not in control. There's something wanting to come through us. And so, um, you know, I think the the fact that I have a master's degree in spiritual psychology just reflects my desire to always be freer. I want freedom. I want more freedom. I want less fear. I, you know, I want to be able to show up and be of service and, and make a contribution and, and have my life, you know, mean something. Yeah. Oh, I love the way you put that. And I and I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast can totally relate. They may not be writers, but I think a lot of people who are listening to this podcast know themselves to be healers in some yeah. way or another. Yeah. And know themselves to be here on the planet to help at this time. Yes. Of this, you know, this global transition that we're yes. in. Yes. And writing is such a great tool. And it's a tool, it's one avenue, one way to express that. And it's just one way. I mean, there are multiple ways. Exactly. And sometimes, you know, I think, I think people can get hung up on 
the modality of doing it? And, you know, is this really the way I'm supposed to be doing it when there are many, there are many ways to absolutely. I want to share these when you're saying that I want to share this quote from St. John of the cross, because it seems so fitting. Um, Here's how it goes. He says, they can be like a sun words. They can do for the heart what light can for a field. Whoa. Oh, wow. I know, right? Because in my case... Will you send me that? Well, I guess I can get it. I'll I'll listen back. I want that quote. I'll read it one more time just for the benefit of people. They can... Okay, I'll start. They can be like a sun, words. They can do for the heart what light can for a field. So beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? So beautiful. Yeah. You and, know, people sometimes, I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, I think the reason that, that this this quote jumped out at me is that, so I'm someone who writes. I do other things, but writing is one of the things. I have referred your book, Beyond Jesus, to so many people. And everybody who I've referred to, it says, thank you. That is the most beautiful and incredible story. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I Reading Beyond Jesus, I read that book, of, I don't know, a few summers ago in my hammock. And it was... I just felt like, oh, this is coming home. Mm. This, this is so, and and also, really, I have to say, I just felt so much admiration for you and for your courage. Mm. I just felt like, wow, you know, she's done things I would be afraid to do, like go to prison. Mm. You know, like that kind of activism. That is just so impressive. Uh, I admire you, Patricia. Well, thank you, Bella, and and thank you. <laughs> <laughs> for that very uh, heart-centered endorsement. And even though I write and am, you know, quote, a writer, I, even I, you know, I don't necessarily claim that identity for myself very often. Wow. Yeah. And so hearing this quote, they can be like a sun words. I don't know that I've always appreciated the power of word wow. and of the written word even wow. though I myself am engaged in it, even though my own life has been changed because of books, because of what people have written. It's yeah. just funny. I think sometimes how we can hold these things at arm's length and not fully claim them as our own, you know, the gifts that we might bring. That's actually incredibly common. I see that very, very often in my students and clients. There's a story. There's, so this is my most recent book, which is called Where Do You Hang Your Hammock? Finding Peace of Mind While You Write, Publish, and Promote Your Book. And my original subtitle for this book was Spiritual Wisdom for Writers. But um, my publisher said, no, not, not, not yet. Not this, not this book. You know, let's, mm. but that book is coming. But I, I do want to say that there's a story in this book about uh, a writer uh, in Italy whose writing studio was just up above this piazza. And he had, would have his computer there and he would... But oftentimes he didn't know what to write and he would just sort of gaze down into the piazza below. And he used to see this homeless man who would scavenge through the garbage for a scrap of paper. And he had this tiny little pencil stub and he would be furiously writing notes on this piece of paper. And the writer would be looking down and watching him and saying, now that is a real writer. (laughs) But what he didn't know was that the homeless man from time to time would look up and see the man in front of his window typing away at his computer and say, oh, there's a real writer. (laughs) Oh, the projections that we engage in. Isn't it funny? Yeah. And the thing that I see that is the most common is, you know, I keep these writing circles small. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, six to eight people. And that's so that people can really feel connected and have a, a, an intimate relationship and be supported. And um, oh my goodness, the people that show up. Wow. Somebody who just showed up is a retired theology professor and author of six books. And I can't wait to work with her and everyone. I mean, the people who show up, it's just like the diversity is really, really kind of amazing. But I just lost my point of what I was going to say. Oh yeah. The thing is that people, they don't realize the value of what they have to say because they live inside their own thinking. And to them, it's mundane. Yes. They're just accustomed to it. And so it doesn't seem special to them. But when they 
when they read, and I have this rule because I, you know, I just think like, I kind of, I, I approach each person, the, the listening process, you know, as an opportunity to practice presence first and foremost, and, you know, to actually sort of be in that meditative state, which is like, pr- I'm present, I'm available, I'm listening, I'm listening, and I don't know where this is going to go, but we're going to be, we're going to be led. Um, and then the thing is that I just say, I say to people, okay, the first thing is we're just going to say what we appreciated about what we heard. Cause people need to know that cause they don't know that. Yeah. And then the writer can either ask, like if the writer wants, you know, criticism or feedback about how it could be better then the writer can ask for that. The writer can ask, ask for that just from me or the writer can ask, ask for that from the whole group. Um, but that's just something that the writer controls, you know, because sometimes we just need to be heard and we need to be celebrated. We don't need to be criticized. We need to be held and supported. Um, so, and, and the person that is always like the, when somebody, especially somebody kind of new, because people like they, they come to these circles and honestly, like some people have been around for quite some time, like years, uh, they just don't want to leave, which is great, uh, fun. Um, but, but the people that I, I know I get very excited when I hear someone say, oh, this, you know, because we write and we read in each session, right? Some people do a lot of writing outside the session. Some people just show up and write once a week and that's enough. And that's what they want to do. And books have been written this way, but the people that show up and say, oh, I don't, this is nothing. Like this is, this is nothing. Um, Those people like, you know, if they can be um, cajoled into sharing, which oftentimes they can be, most of the time they can be, although no one is ever forced to share anything. Uh, that's always a, just a huge learning for everyone because they just don't realize the power, the gift. Um, I'll, I'll give a little plug for one of my students because she's just magnificent. She um, she was a television writer. Her name is Melissa Gould, Gould and she wrote a book called Widowish. And uh, she came to my writing circle soon after her husband had died and she was a young widow. And she's, she's, you know, she came into the circle and she was writing, she tended toward fiction because she was, you know, used to writing for television. Um, And she's a great writer and it was wonderful to hear what she had to say. And, but then one day she wrote about her own personal experience of being a widow. And it was like the mountain moving. It was like, oh my God, this is so incredible. This is so wow. Um, and then she ended up writing this book called Widowish, and she found a publisher, and it was published, and it's now being made, I think, into a Netflix series. Oh wow, that's now cool. this is this is really unusual. This is not like this doesn't happen to most people in writing circles, but there certainly have been several books that have come out of them. Yeah, yeah, and just her her story of you know that that shift, it, how the power that writing has to help us really go into those places. And uh, there was a quote by, I think, Graham Greene recently that I heard about writing is therapy, <laughs> that writing can be ther- therapeutic. Definitely. Yeah. And just the the practice of getting it out, just getting the words out, just that itself, I think, can be so, so helpful. Oh, yeah. there's And there's been... Yeah, go ahead. There's been a lot of research on this. I mean, James Pennebaker's work and um, Janet Janet Connor talks about this, you know, that this, it actually creates a kind of psychic resonance, the process of writing itself. And not everybody in my writing circles is interested in writing literature, publishing books. You know, some of them are just there because they want personal transformation and growth. And that's great too. Yeah. And that's the other thing that I think we hear the word writer and we think, oh, someone who's whose job is to write and publish books, but it's it's the process of writing. It's just that, you know, engaging in that itself. That's what uh, that's where the magic is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. A writer is just a person who writes. Yeah. It's that mm-hmm. simple, isn't it? Yeah. Someone who writes. And, you know, I've been journaling for for years and years and years, doing uh morning pages, Julia Cameron. Yep. Or uh, practice yeah. artist's way, yeah. And I found for myself, it's just been such a gift, such a gift, just to be able to spill whatever is on my heart and mind out onto the page. Yeah, me too. So for you, Bella, what's what's currently? Do you feel like? And I don't know if this is a writing question or a spirituality question or what, but 
What, it's all the same. <laughs> yeah. What feels really present for you right now in terms of like the fertile ground of your life at the moment? I am in this creative explosion right now. I'm just having so much fun. I'm writing 100 word stories. And a couple of them were just accepted for publication, which was a surprise to me because I have been submitting work in a while. And I remember in the old days, just getting so much rejection and just feeling like, ah, but, um, but I'm writing these 100 word stories and um, some of them are coming from, and this is just a great exercise. I recommend it to anyone. So I have like file cabinets filled with old writing and just 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 the just the essays just the personal essays and the short stories that never got published that have been just sitting around for 20 years so i'll take a 3000 word essay or story and turn it into a 100 word story mm. and it's remarkable it's just just um yeah it's it's great so i'm i'm really having fun with that and i'm also um uh you know and teaching of course i mean i'm usually on a very clear and specific kind of teaching schedule but i've been really kind of listening and when the pandemic hit the people in the writing circles many of them didn't want to stop i used to take long breaks between circles but people didn't want to stop because of the intimacy and the connections formed in these writing circles so we kind of kept going um and then um actually just on this past friday one of my students who was on a summer break from one of the writing circles, a lot of the people in that circle were traveling. So I suspended that circle for the summer. She said, when's the next writing circle starting up? And I said, well, you know, I actually didn't tell her this, but I knew it wasn't good. It was like still a month out. It was going to be like the end of September. And um, and but I knew somebody else who wanted a writing circle. So I, I put together like a piece. I wrote this piece. I sent it out, shared it with my people, put it on social media and the class filled within two days. Mm. And so I'm starting today, actually this afternoon, with a new group. And, and what's unusual about this group is that it's six of the eight people are new. And two are usually, I have, it's usually like six returning students and two new students. Mm -hmm. But this is two returning students and six new students. So, and you know, I hesitate to use the word student. I just want to say something about that. Um, we're all students. <sighs> we all learn from each other. People are at all different levels. You know, I'm a student every, you know, like, so I use that word, but I, I just laugh because, you know, I just feel like I'm a student too, even though I'm facilitating the, the circle, I'm not participating. I'm, I'm, I'm not participating as a writer, but I am holding space for people. And, um, yeah. but we all, we all teach each other. So, so I'm really excited about that, but I'm also like, I've got all these other course offerings in the works, like this body talk. Um, I, I, 30 years ago, I developed this body talk program that involved movement and writing. And so I'm thinking of resurrecting that. I'm thinking of resurrecting a, um, a, a hundred word story class. So I've got a lot of like yummy things going on that I'm very excited about. And I just built a uh, sauna garden in my backyard and, and we're having a sauna put in, which is a, a long held dream <laughs> that I'm really looking forward to. So fun. Yeah. So lots of, lots of yummy things happening. And um, I'm very excited, especially about the hundred word stories just for my own writing, but I also just, I love to teach and coach people. Yeah. So from your many, many years of working with people in this process, and again, coming back then to the spirituality and that intersection, what is one thing that really rises to the top? And it might be the surrender that you mentioned earlier, but one thing that really uh, is where these two worlds meet for you, like a spiritual truth that you have really come to know as part of the writing process, but that applies to all of life. It's know who you are. Mm. You may not be who you think you are. You may think that your identity is related to the house that you live in, the car that you drive, the clothes that you wear, the people you hang out with, the work that you do all of these things that, you know, you may think these, these things are, um, construct your identity and are who you are, but those are not, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. That's like, you know, that's sort of the outside that's, but that's not what's inside. And what's inside is infinite, eternal, uh, love. And I, I keep coming back to the question. I mean, I just wrote a post about this recently. Um, 
I don't remember what I called it, but but it's like, okay, so now that I know this, now that I have this information, now that I've had these awakenings, how do I live it? Because I keep forgetting. I forget all the time and I get caught up, I get hijacked by my thinking and then, you know, and, and, and all this, you know, all these stories. Like, how do I extract myself from the stories that my mind is like, and, and writers, you know, we're very imaginative people. So we are really good at making up stories. <laughs> so how do I like them <laughs> and believing them? Yeah, it's making it's not the making up of the stories that is really a problem. Right. It's the believing of them. And the number right. one story that people who show up in my workshops and my in my circles for coaching, most of them are believing the stories about not being good enough, about not having anything to say. In, in Where Do You Hang Your Hammock? I have a whole um, list of reasons why people write. And people write for all different reasons. You know, they they can write for transformation and growth. They can write because they have a story they want to tell. They want to write because they want to, you know, leave a story to their children. There's lots of reasons why people write. And, um, you know, nobody ever comes to me and says, when I say, why do you write? They don't say, you know, I write because I want to become rich and famous. You know, and if they did, I would say, wow, good luck. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, holy cow. So so it's really, I would say the number one thing is that people don't know who they are. They don't know that that what they're made of is is love. And that that is their essence. And and when we it's so it's one thing to know that. And then it's another thing to kind of keep practicing. Um living from that place yeah so true thank you bella thank you Patricia. anything else on your heart or mind that you want to bring forth in this conversation before we wrap it up ah let me check in i just want to say thank you to you mm. because you've been such a beacon and this podcast is is that for me i'll listen to this podcast washing dishes, walking outside, sitting in bed, you know, like, it's just like, I feel like it's just this source of comfort that is available to me all the time. And I'm very grateful. Thank you. Mm, I'm so glad to know that. Thank you. Well, and thank you also for, for joining me today and exploring all of this with me. And again, as I mentioned earlier in the introduction, people can find out more about you and your work at your website, bellamahayacarter.com. So thank you again, Bella, and I look forward to being in touch with you and many blessings on the rest of your summer and all of, the, all of these creative things that are percolating inside of you. It's very exciting. Thank you, Patricia. Thank so you. good to be with you. Be well. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.